You may be wondering why we got all these sticky gizmos on, the, uh, on this plastic thing that I'm standing in front of. Uh, those are little reminders for me. Uh, the problem is I forgot to put something on them to remind me. Um, there, there's a point, though. There's a point for them, and we'll get into that momentarily. But if you're watching online... Uh, and for those of you here, uh, you want uh, on church Facebook or the webpage, you want to dial in on the notes. And for those of you that are on the uh, Life Church email list, you probably got an email on Friday with, with the notes and uh, different announcements. And I'm um, uh, just curious if you read the text for today. Um, as you know, we are walking through the book of First Thessalonians, and um, I would have to say that um, this part of the letter that Paul wrote to the church, uh, I think there possibly could have been some pushback then, but I know there's pushback today. I know there is. Just because you look at uh, the state of the church in America, uh, people who call them followers of Jesus Christ, uh, when you look at their core values, their biblical worldview, they do not have a biblical worldview. Because if they did, they would agree with the core values of the Bible. And the numbers are coming back, friends, and, and we're seeing uh, Christianity is being diluted right before our very eyes. And as we get into the text this morning, um, if you push back, uh, just don't check out. That, that's my appeal to you. Just don't check out. Stay with me. Because I'm trusting that God's Spirit will speak clearly to each one of us. For me, I want to hear from God. For me, I want to obey God's word. I don't want to pick and choose what I agree with and don't agree with, you know, create my own Bible. I don't want to do that. I trust God's word. And I know he knows what's best for me. So therefore, my life is in his hands. And I'm good with that. We've got some pineapples up here today, and they're here on purpose. They didn't walk up here, sit on a stool, and, you know, uh, say, hey, we want to participate in the gathering this morning at Life Church. I purposely put them there. And the reason being, when was the last time you bought a pineapple? Well, I actually Googled it um, last night. Um, you can find them at Walmart for $2.27. All right? Not too bad. Um, but did you know that years ago, pineapples were so expensive and they were highly sought after that only the wealthy could afford them? Yeah. When pineapples arrived in Europe after Christopher Columbus first discovered them in the New World, people were so intrigued with the fruit... It looked like a pine cone. It was juicy like an apple. Therefore, they named it Pine Apple. Pretty deep for a Sunday morning, I get it, but uh, I know you're, you're tracking with me here. 
But the pineapple became a symbol of luxury and wealth, man. People that had a lot of wealth, they would buy um, these pineapples. In fact, at the peak, a pineapple sold as much as $8,000 in today's currency. $8,000 for one pineapple. The reason was they weren't, there weren't many of them. Uh, in fact, <laughs> think about this. People would buy a pineapple and instead of eating it, they would just put it on a table in their room and invite their friends over just to look at it. <laughs> you know? They, they used the pineapple to say, hey, man, you must be wealthy, you know? I'm glad you invited me in your cool house, man. You know, and they'd keep it on the table until, until it started to rot. You know, they forgot to put it in the refrigerator. Oh, boy. Imagine coming around, people coming around your house and saying, hey, man, check out the pineapple. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we have two up here today. You're here, you're checking out the pineapple. You know, it makes you feel kind of dumb, doesn't it? Don't, 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 don't fall for that trap. Pineapples began appearing, in fact, back in the day um, in architecture and design. Um, like St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Check it out, man. On top, what do you see there? Huh? It's a pineapple. Pretty cool, huh? Yep. And, um, of course, there were other... They started showing up in other places around the world as well just to kind of impress people. But can you imagine if you, uh, you, brought, you went back on the time machine, brought somebody back from the 1500s and have them walk through the produce aisle in Walmart, you know, uh, the pile of pineapples next to the watermelon and the mangoes, you know, and say, holy cow, $2.27. That's a bargain, you know. And then they see little samples, you know, with a toothpick, you know, they would say, holy smoke, this is wonderful, you know, how could you afford to do this? Well, they did. So why doesn't people, why don't people care about pineapples today? Any idea on that? Uh, You don't see people designing them in houses, do you? Or inviting neighbors over to look at their pineapple on their kitchen table. What's happened to the pineapple? Yeah. Why aren't they protected and celebrated? It's because they're easy to come by. They were hard to find back in the day, but now they're everywhere. You know, the advance of the steamship, the development of pineapple plantations uh, have made them available just about anywhere around the world. It's common, it's no big deal. So that's the problem with the pineapples. It's easy to take them for granted, and a lot of people have, and familiarity breeds contempt. In fact, Susanna Raga, she's an author, she said, it still tastes exactly the same, but now the pineapple is one of the world's least glamorous fruits. The pineapple itself has not changed, only our attitude to it has. So what does that have to do with our text for today? Let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're in a new chapter, which means we've gone through the first three chapters, right? That's usually how it goes. 
Let's start at uh, verse 1. Paul writes, it's a letter, it's a letter to uh, a young church in Greece. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Here it is, God's will is for you to be holy. Everybody's cool with that. So stay away from all sexual sin. That's where people start to go in panic mode. Is that clear? So stay away from all sexual sin. Why isn't that clear? It seems to be a road bump in Christianity today. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans, pagans would be non-believers of Jesus, who do not know God in his ways. In other words, Paul is saying people who don't know God sin. That's what they do. People who know God should not sin. I'm not talking about perfection, but I mean just following the ways of the non-believer. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly, solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. There it is. It's pretty straight up, wouldn't you say? It's pretty clear. Paul is saying, I have, I have presented to you God's word. You can take it or leave it, but if you leave it, you're not rejecting me. He says, you're rejecting God. That's who you're rejecting. It's God. And you're not disobeying human teaching, but you're rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we think Paul wrote this back in 51 AD, and it is as relevant today as it was then. People who think the Bible is old-fashioned, out of touch, they just don't read it. All you have to do is read it and realize that it is practical in every day of our lives that we live. Help us, Lord, not to put up a wall, you know. Yeah, this is, I, I don't agree with that verse. May we come before you, Lord, and say today, Lord, I've come here not to do my spiritual calisthenics to try and impress you and my friends, but I'm simply here because I want to get to know you better. I want you to control my life more than it was before I came into this place this morning. And so very simply, we're saying change us, Lord, to be more like you. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Going back to the pineapples, uh, when they were scarce, they were expensive. When they 
where it was, when there was an overabundance, their price, you know, came down. You know, that's what you call the free market system. That's how it works. What does that have to do with this text? Very simply, um, sex has been let out of Pandora's box, so to speak, in our culture. And it's lost its true value because you realize that, man, in commercials, wherever you go, wherever you look, sex is thrown right in front of your face. It has the diminished, the value, the gift that God originally created for a husband and a wife to celebrate together on their honeymoon. That was God's plan. A gift, beautiful gift. He designed sex. He thought it up. He created the human body, man. It's all his idea, but it's become perverted. It's been released into our culture, and you have sex trafficking all around the world today. Taking advantage of little girls, man. You have pornography racing across every imaginable situation. And that's somebody's daughter that boys and men are looking at. That's somebody's daughter. We could go on and on, man. The perversion of sex is hurting people, destroying people in its path. Is that the way God planned it? Absolutely not. It was a beautiful gift to be open on your honeymoon. And so, the rationale today is, you know what, I, we need to, it's like buying a car. We need to, we need to, you know, we need to experiment sexually before we get married and on and on and on. When you have all the sex you want, anywhere you want it, with whomever you want, there's nothing sacred or special about it. And I have to tell you, it must grieve the heart of God. This treasure that he created. That's what Satan does, by the way. He destroys people. He steals, he kills, he destroys Everything good that God has presented to human beings, Satan puts a little twist on it. And everywhere you go behind it, you see pain and suffering. Sex itself hasn't changed from the time of creation. It's our attitudes toward it that have. And so, um, as we look at our, our text today... The first three chapters in Thessalonians focused on Paul's visit to this young church. And now the final two chapters, four and five, look ahead to the future of the church. And he's giving very practical advice on how Christians should live their lives when the world is watching. At the end of chapter three, last Sunday, we hit verse 13. It was Paul's prayer to the church. That Christ would make these new followers of Christ strong, blameless, and holy before God. Let's read that verse. May he, God, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father. 
when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people, amen. That's Paul's prayer. Notice he transitions now to chapter 4, coming off this prayer for, for them being strong, blameless, and holy in the eyes of God. And that's a prayer that's relevant for today as well. Paul, notice he doesn't cry out against sex. He doesn't have placards walking through Thessalonica or Corinth, you know, sex is bad. No, he's not, he's not doing it that, but he's addressing the misuse of sex. Okay? We have to keep that before us. And so... Today, we see a majority of people scoffing at anything moral or holy or righteous. Look at Tim Tebow. The stuff that hit the fan in his life because he was a virgin. Hmm? How he was mocked and laughed at. He said, I'm waiting for my wedding day. People laughed at him. That's just one example. That happens over and over again, friend, in our world. So number one, keep on living to please God. Keep on living to please God. Verse one, finally, and that word finally simply means Paul's transitioning out of, out of the first three chapters, you know, about his time with the people. Now he's finally He's, he's saying, I'm changing the subject. I'm going to deal with um, some practical applications here. And uh, Timothy's report back in verse 6 of chapter 3 uh, told Paul, man, the church is doing well, but we have to consider the environment that they're living in. And that environment, of course, is um, the Roman Empire. L- listen, friends, this was not a, <laughs> this was not a, a morally healthy environment. The Roman Empire was, it was sexual. It was perverted to the max. And that culture impacted the Thessalonian church as well. And that's why Paul felt compelled. Remember back in chapter three, he says, I feel compelled, man. I I want to, you need to hear more of, of God's word and teaching on how you should live. And, um, a lot of people live their lives to please themselves. We see that even in Christianity today. You know, it's what I want. You know, what feels good for me. I don't care what the Bible says, and I don't care what it, how it's going to impact other people. Mm, that's, that's not, I don't care. Well, Romans 15.1, Paul writes, We who are strong must be considered of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not... Just please ourselves, right? Isn't that right? As followers of Christ, we should not just please ourselves. In Galatians 1.10, he continues, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And I want to submit this to you this morning. Are you a people pleaser or are you a God pleaser? How would you dial in on that question? You know, I, I worry about what my peers think about me or you know, my friends, my colleagues at work, blah, blah, blah. 
Paul is saying, I don't care what people think. I'm not pleasing them. I'm here to please God. That attitude was presented to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Paul says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. So there you had it. He already laid it out. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Pleasing God should be the major motive in your life and my life if we say, I'm a follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said it in John 8, 29, I always do what pleases him. Talking about his Father, Father God. I, I, I always do what pleases him. We should echo that. We should model that. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Pleasing God's a lot more than doing God's will. <laughs> you think, I'm doing God's will. Uh, that, that's going to please God. Listen, Jonah, case in point, Jonah finally did do God's will. He ended up in Nineveh, but he did it not wholeheartedly. Because when God was about to forgive Nineveh, Jonah was feeling sorry for himself. Remember that? Yeah, he was ticked off at God. I knew you were going to forgive these people. Doggone it. That's not, that's not pleasing God with that kind of an attitude. Yeah. So we have to be, when we obey God, we need to do it with wholeheartedly. I'm doing this because I love God. I can trust God. In Ephesians 6, 6, do the will of God with all your heart. Not part of your heart, all of your heart. And how do we know what pleases God? Very simply, you hang out with him. I was thinking about my dad, you know. He had, a, he had a smile, a certain smile that I saw on his face when I knew I pleased him. I knew him. We get to know God our Father by spending time with him, reading his word. We find out his character, the history of God. We talk to him, we listen to him, we obey him. We pursue him. And so that's where Paul says, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, hey, 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 I've heard some good reports, but don't give up. You keep on pressing on. You keep on going after God. It's that first law of the spiritual progress. It says, I can't go back. I can't stay here and I must go forward. That's how we have to live our lives. We can't change the past. We can't stay the same because everything is changing, moving. And so we go forward by the grace of God. And he helps us in the process. Number two, God's will for me. That's a question mark. God's will for me. Verses 2 and 3, for you remember that we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. It's an, you want to underline that word authority. That's in the Greek, that is a military order. That's like a commanding officer handing down an order to his men. 
by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's not Paul just talking, I'm giving you this word. This is an order, man. What's the order? Be holy and stay away from all sexual sin. Clear? <laughs> Could you explain that to me, Lieutenant? I, I can't quite get a grip on that. Uh, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear, I think. Yeah. And uh, as you know, Paul writing 2 Timothy 2 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And so we have to see, if I'm a follower of Christ, he's my commanding officer. You know, where we get off as Christians in America, where we can, it's all right to abort my baby. You know, I'm the boss. You know, I'm the boss. It's all right for me to be involved sexually outside of marriage. I'm the boss. You see, we just, we get off. I'm the boss. You're usurping the authority of Almighty God in your life when you live like that. You are living a life of idolatry, friend. It's a dangerous place to be. And ladies, if you had an abortion, I am not here pointing my finger because there are women here that have had abortions and they have experienced the forgiveness of the Lord. They have. And there are people that have been involved sexually with their lives outside of marriage and they have experienced the grace and forgiveness of God. And we celebrate that. And so be holy. Be holy. That's a part of sanctification. It's a lifelong process. Oh boy. It's a lifelong process. So stay away from all sexual sin. God created sex to be beautiful in the context of marriage. God created sex, we see that in Hebrews 13:4, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to the one to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral. That word immoral covers a gamut of definitions, fornicators, people involved in sex before marriage, you know, and those who commit adultery, being unfaithful to your spouse. God realized that when you commit yourself to a man or a woman for life, it puts a fence around that marriage of protection of loyalty and commitment, of protection, a wall of protection. And so the mindset today is, what's the big deal? It's, it, it's, it's what's the big deal? And that's kind of a, uh, it's kind of the pulse in, in the church in America today. What's the big, big deal about sexual sin? You know? What are you making a big deal about it for? Everybody's doing it. Mark Atterbury, a pastor, he wrote, take 
cohabitation, the Bible condemns sex outside of marriage, yet countless young couples, even after growing up in the church, choose to live together before getting married. If challenged, they often cut loose a pre-rationalized explanation of why such an arrangement is necessary. It helps us save money. We can't afford two house payments. It's only temporary until we get some of our bills paid. Naturally, nothing is ever said about the two of them simply wanting to play house and have sex before their wedding. I've challenged Christian couples on their cozy premarital living arrangements, pointing out what the Bible says about sexual purity, only to have them look at me like I have stalks of celery sticking out of my ears. Poor Pastor Mark, he just doesn't get it. Of course, they would never say it out loud, but it's clear that they're thinking it, that I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, especially when they go right on living together, as if the conversation never happened. Andy Stanley, we've done a lot of his studies on Wednesday night here, says couples come to us for premarital counseling. Many of them are already living together. You might assume couples who are living and sleeping together have worked through the sexual challenges created by their sexual histories. Not so. In fact, many couples use their time with our premarital mentors to air their frustrations and concerns regarding those very issues. Sexual involvement early in a relationship masks relational issues. But eventually they surface and often diminish or kill sexual passion. Relationship problems have a way of doing that. Without warning, a couple whose sexual chemistry drove the relationship forward find themselves drifting listlessly. Before long, they start looking for someone to blame. They rarely rarely look in the mirror. And for this reason, we require couples involved sexually to curtail sleeping together during premarital counseling. Those living together, we ask to separate until after the wedding. Hitting the pause button sexually makes it easier to surface and talk about relational challenges hovering below the surface. Again, nothing masks relational dysfunction like sexual involvement. Asking a couple to curtail sex for the sake of the relationship rarely makes sense in the moment. And those who comply thank us later. I found that to be true. Sex is physical, but it's more than physical. Your sexual experience affects your capacity for intimacy. Sexual purity isn't an idea whose time has come and gone. Sexual purity is a strategy. It's an investment in your happiness and happiness of your future partner. Why? Because purity now paves the way to intimacy later. For example, a single woman was asked, has sex as a single woman made your life better or more complicated? She didn't say better. She said complicated. Definitely complicated. She was then asked, if God is a heavenly father who loves you and wants the best for you, and he knows sex apart from marriage will complicate your life, what would you expect him to say about it? You see? You see, God doesn't want to complicate your life because he's a loving God. We sang about it earlier this morning. And so... Kenny Luck 
which we've done a lot of his men's studies, Every Man Ministries, wrote this, Practical Sexual Atheism Among Christians. Let's read that again. Practical Sexual Atheism Among Christians says God can speak into some things but not sex. In other words, you don't give God the right to do that. This ultimate expression of self-deception and loss of mind goes all the way back to the garden when a certain character asked Adam and Eve, did God really say that? They took the bait and apparently so are the majority of single Christians in the garden of love, sex, and dating. They are listening to the voice that says, eat and have your eyes opened. Like the first couple, God's single men and women are letting fear win over faith and curiosity win over Christ with inevitable and untold prices to pay. It's God's will to be holy, and it's God's will to stay away from sexual sin. Good? Number three, control me, don't follow the crowd. My responsibility is to control me, as Paul writes. I do not want to get caught up in what everybody else is doing with their lives. That's not what I'm responsible for. In verses 4 and 5, then each of you will control his own body. Paul is saying when you stay away from sexual sin, you will learn to control your own body. Paul is saying that you are not part of the animal kingdom where you have no control over your sexual impulses. You are designed in the very image of God. God gave you the authority to rule over the animal kingdom. Our culture is saying you can't control it. You are an animal. It's a lie. All you have to read is Genesis, created in the very image of God, handmade by God himself. You are a human being with a soul. Paul is saying you will learn to control your own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Paul is saying if people don't know God, they're going to sin. Don't get caught up in that. You need to keep your life in order with God himself. In the Phillips translation, verse 4 says God's plan is to make you holy, and that entails, first of all, a clean cut with sexual immorality. So this, this controlling your body, uh, self-control, self-control, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, which should be evident in a follower of Christ's life, right? Self-control. Self-control. Um, last week I did a funeral in Sauk City, and after the funeral, I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts, for coffee. I went through the drive-thru and, and uh, uh, I took a sip after I paid and just kind of pulled it and it was lukewarm. Doggone it. Doggone it. So, so I left my car running and I went inside, very calm. And I said, this is not hot coffee with a smile on my face, just like, no, this is not hot coffee. 
Well, let me go check. Oh, I see. It's the last person here. They turned the burner off. That's why it's not high. I'll make you a fresh pot. I said, great. So in the process, he, he, as I'm standing there, he says, hey, how about a couple donuts while you're waiting for free, he says, for free. And, and before I could even think about it, I said, no, thank you. I thought, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How did that happen? No, thank you. And then I realized over time I have learned self-control when it comes to donuts. Really, you know? I mean, back in the day, you know, those were like vitamins. You just pop them, you know, boom. Good to go. And I, I can't do that today. And I've, and I've learned self-control when it comes, and I, the thought occurred to me, I didn't even have to think about it. You see? I didn't have to, it, was a, it was a habit. No, thank you. No, thank you. That's the way it is with self-control. We get into a, a rhythm of resisting temptation. And I know that's not a big deal with donuts, man. I'm not saying donuts are bad, man. I had an apple turnover about 10 days ago. This is confession time. (laughs) The point is that what Paul is saying is we need to learn to control our bodies. Once again, we're not animals, we're human beings. We We can tap into God's spirit to help us say no to temptation, whatever it is. Whatever it is. And so um, that, that's where Paul's going. Don't, don't worry. He said, each of you, each of you, it's a, personal, it's a personal challenge will control his own body. And we know, we know that those urges, how about it? I've had conversations with, you know, isn't it weird, you know, especially for young boys, you know, their body changes and all. Yeah, man, I think about sex, man. Oh, wow. Why did God, God must be punishing me. No, no, no. That's all put there on purpose. It's a gift from God. But he wants you to learn to control it. See? He wants you to learn to control those passions and desires. You're not a freak. God has, has put them in you on purpose so that we learn self-restraint. It's like putting a governor on a machine, on an engine, so it doesn't burn up, you know? Steady, steady, steady. And fire. Uh, so... So you look at a fire in a fireplace, and everybody thinks, oh, man, that's so cozy. That's so cozy. Oh, look at that. It's getting hot. Feel the heat? See, when fire is under control, it's a beautiful thing. And that's God designed for marriage. Sexual intimacy in a marriage is safe. It's protected. You let that sexual passion get out of control, and this is what happens. See? 
It's fire. Fire under control is good. Fire out of control destroys. So, so there, yeah. Case in point, kind of hit this a little earlier, Pew Research, September 1st, 2020, came out in a survey, a new survey, has concerning news for church leaders. In other words, there's a flare in the air because what we are talking about should be concerned. 46% of U.S. evangelicals are okay with premarital sex in a commit, committed relationship. 46% of U.S. evangelicals are okay with premarital sex in a committed relationship. Something's wrong, friends. Something is wrong. Somebody's not reading the Bible. What do you say? Yes or no? Yes. Is it clear in 1 Thessalonians 4? Is it clear? Yes. Then where's the disconnect? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And so, Paul presses on, number four, commit to be faithful. Verse six, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all sins as we have solemnly warned you. Um, In other words, Paul's saying there was so much immorality in Thessalonica There was so much immorality in Corinth. Uh, Immorality was commonplace. No big deal. It wasn't frowned on by culture. No big deal. And so that's why Paul's addressing it. As followers of Christ, you should not be jumping around with somebody else's wife. You need to be faithful. That's what this verse means. He's, He's moving from the context of sexual sin and he's dialing into to, to marriage here, specifically violating his wife. The Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you. A history professor at Baylor University put it this way, I am a student of Greek and Roman history. In my research, I have discovered that the underlying cause of their decline and ultimate destruction as a nation was the breakup of their homes. As long as their homes were strong, They were strong, but when their homes disintegrated, they disintegrated. And so it will be with America. I want to warn you to warn the people wherever you go of this basic truth and then plead with them to regard their homes as sacred and holy. There is an attack on the American family, traditional family in America right now. And it will lead to the destruction of this nation if it doesn't stop. I was grateful for Franklin Graham and the the people that were in Washington, D.C. yesterday praying for our country. Do you realize 
as a, as a Christian people, we need to ask God for forgiveness. Look at the stats here, friends. 47% of evangelicals think it's okay. Think about it. We, we need to ask God to forgive us. We deserve to be judged as people of God. And so, um, Paul says, stay faithful to your spouse. Stay faithful to your spouse. Don't play games. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's too many games going on in marriages, friends, you know? Well, you didn't do what I want. I'm going to withhold sex from you, you know? I'm going to make you punished. I'm going to punish you for a while right now. That's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. Where did that come from? Huh? Paul says, don't do that. Don't play games in your marriage. Number five, God's called to me, and that's to live holy. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Holy smoke. Holy smoke. There it is again. You're thinking, why does he have to say that again? I just got through that a few verses ago. Because he's trying to make a point. Holy not impure. That's a calling. God has called us. He's called us to be holy. Let's see, what has God called you to do? God has called you to be holy. Don't worry about somebody else. You take that responsibility. Number six, God's spirit helps me obey. Here's the great news, verse eight. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, on the front end, Paul is saying, this is serious, what we've been addressing, sexual sin. This is serious. And these rules, listen, Christianity is not rules of do's and don'ts. You know... My dad had a rule, don't play in the street when I was a little termite. Was that a bad thing? No. He was caring about me. He was trying to protect me. That's the same when we look at this text. This is not a rule of do's and don'ts. It's, it's driven out of a relationship of love. We recognize God loves me so much, he's trying to protect me. That's what he's doing. So you go ahead and say, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, you go right ahead. You're disobeying God. That's what Paul says. You're rejecting God. But he goes on to say, he gives you the Holy Spirit. You can't live your life in a holy way without the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's saying. This to you. It says, he gives you the Holy Spirit to you. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, in Galatians 5.16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Paul points, when he says he gives his Holy Spirit in the Greek, it's in the present tense, which means he keeps on giving you the Holy Spirit. It's not a once and done deal. He keeps on giving you the Holy Spirit. You need need God's power to overcome temptation. You call on that. God gives you that spirit, the strength to resist temptation along the way. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So you must honor God with your body. God made you because God paid for you and because he lives in you. What should we do? We should give our bodies back to him, right? Because we're his property. He bought us. Many years ago, God communicated some good news to people who had not kept sex special. He identifies these people in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Check this out. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or are drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because sin will keep you out of heaven. Is that the end of the story? No. 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 Notice it says were. Hmm? You catch that? Were. In other words, that's not where they are now. Notice in verse 11, some of you were once like that. Oh, this is so good. This is jumping jack material right here. Some of you were once like that. But, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Check this out. One, you were cleansed. You were made clean. Two, you were made holy. You're set apart for special purposes. God made you special again. And three, you were made right with God. You think, how can the guilt and scars of a sexual past be removed and healed like this? It's all answered up, answered in the tail end of verse 11, by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There it is. There it is. He forgives. He cleanses. He restores. Oh, man. So our, our hope, man, it's based on Jesus. First Peter 2.24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. When we put our faith in Jesus, he erases the past. We stand clean before a holy God because of what Jesus did. That is great news. 
I don't know what the Spirit of God has been saying to you this morning. I do know, for me, I have been very, I am very intentional about what I allow on our television. What goes into my head, what I allow my eyes to see. I am, I am, I am, I'm like a mad dog, you know? Because I want to pursue holiness. You know, I'm serious about it. I want to, not because I have to, because I love God. I love him and he knows he loves me so much. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to grieve him. This tremendous gift that he's given to me. His love, his grace, his forgiveness. I've experienced it. I'll never be the same. Father, we compromise so easily. We let our guard down so easily. We live our lives the way other people live their lives and we think it's okay. And this morning we ask, Lord, that you will forgive us. We have sinned against a holy God. We have grieved your spirit. But that's not the end of it, Lord. We're asking for your forgiveness today. We're asking for spiritual renewal in our lives. That we will become the people Paul wrote to in chapter 4. Lord, we thank you for pursuing us. Nick hit that earlier, how God chased after him, and he's chased after all of us. Why? Because he loves us. Yeah. And so the question is, so what are you going to do, friend, this morning? What are you going to do? You've you've heard the truth. This is God's word. It's true. So how are you going to live your life from today on? What changes need to be made? What attitudes need to change? What, who do you need to go to ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to confess sin to? Yes, to the Lord, but who else? You've hurt them openly. your mercy, Lord. We need your forgiveness, Lord. We cry out to you this morning. 
No more playing games. No pleasing me. I want to please you, Lord. I'm all in with you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Jesus, thank you that we can call on your name. You paid the price for our sins on the cross freely. It's a free gift waiting to be received. receive you this morning, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us our sins. Become our spiritual leader once and for all, every part of our lives, Lord. May we live for you the rest of our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.